Well, as, as we've talked about and alluded to already this morning, there have clearly been a lot of changes and adjustments over the last year. There have been global changes with this pandemic. There have been, I would say, tectonic shifts in this nation, uh, politically and socially, and more to come, it seems. And th- that's just the reality. Some of these are difficult to, to see. Uh, There have been church changes, for sure. There have been constant adjustments that we've been making throughout the year, changes to our gatherings or non-gatherings. We've had people that have come and gone. We've had technology changes, and we're working through those adjustments, and and the way we have to care for one another is different than it it was, so constantly changing. I, I just think back. We had our elder retreat last year about this time, how happily naive we were as to what the year would hold, and uh, we, we had plans for the year, and it, it was very different. We didn't know all that would change. There have been personal changes. I know uh, you, you, you've experienced many of these in the, just in the last year, and job changes, and education, schooling, and health changes, and, and uh, family dynamics that have changed, and social changes. So there's just been a lot, a lot of change. Some of these changes could have been anticipated. Some of these you couldn't have possibly expected. And, and look down the road and seen. Some have been happy and welcomed. Others have been very, very difficult, and we would have avoided them if possible, for sure. Change. Change is a given in this world. But, but change can be really, really hard, can it? Um, it? But thankfully, this is the encouragement. God does not change, ever. He, he is immutable. He is unchangeable. And so my, my, my hope is that while a lot may be changing in the church and in the culture and in, in, our, in the world around us, that the church is actually a place of stability for us. It is this place of, of, of rest. Though, though experientially, I know that's kind of been difficult to think of the church in that way over the past year with, with so much in flux, but... but, but Listen, change is, is, is always going to be part of the church, and, and so we're not exempt from, from change. That's just life in this fallen world. It, it's got to be. We, we always have, I mean, positively, we have to be growing and adjusting and straining forward and reaching ahead and, and repenting and, 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 and moving and reaching and all of these things, stretching. This is healthy. This is, this is just what it means to be alive, and, and churches are, fit in that. So churches that don't do this right kind of change eventually just sort of wither and die. But on the other hand, there have to be constants. There have to be those unchangeables. Um, certain things that don't change, beliefs and convictions and practices. And I, I think of in the realm of parenting. As, as parents, we want to help our kids to be able to deal with change, don't we? I think that's one of the goals that most parents have. We, we want them to be flexible. We want them to be able to... De- to adjust to disruptions and and into in routines and in circumstances, so we, we we don't want them to lose their minds when their schedule has to be altered in even the slightest way. Uh, I, I think we share that goal. I remember when we you know started out on parenting journey, and you would you would you know read the magazines in the pediatrician's office, and you know this is you got to do this, and you know the ideal nap time for a for a child is you know. Uh, 1.46 p.m. to 2.37 p.m. or something like that. Like, that's the sweet spot. And so you say, all right, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to preserve them. We, we weren't that extreme. But, you know, you have those thoughts when you're starting out. But, but, but 
but we don't, we don't want our whole lives as parents to revolve around keeping every detail of our kid's day the exact same so that they, they won't get upset. That said, we're not after disorder and chaos. That's not healthy. We, we want routine in the home. We, we kids need order and structure, and they need afternoon naps, and so do 43-year-old men, too. Um, they, they need routines that can be counted upon. Um, and so there, there's safety, there's comfort, there's help, there's, there's freedom in those constants. So we have to maintain order and consistency without becoming you know, overly rigid. We have to have flexibility without chaos. That's the, the tension we feel in the, in the home. And so that's, that's what we want as a church too, though. We, we, we want to be able to adjust and and to be nimble and to, to be able to adjust quickly. We want to be able to just go after God-given opportunities that he opens up for us as a church. We want to be able to go. We want, we want to be able to take risk for the sake of the gospel, calculated risk. We want to, we want to be led by God's spirit. We want to be interruptible and adaptable as a, as a church, not stagnant and stale. But in order to live and function like that, we need the, we need the stability of certain givens. We need consistency. We can't just chase after the wind and being blown around by all these different ideas and here, there, and everywhere. No, we need to be securely tethered to certain constants, these, these unchangeable biblical truths and biblical convictions and biblical purpose and priorities and, and practices and these kinds of things. So just think of like a trapeze artist. And, and so the, it's, it's the safety net that allows them the, the freedom to try those daring feats. If you've seen them at the circus or something like that. They're, because there's something that will catch them if they fall. Uh, that's maybe not the best illustration, but I, I hope that communicates something what I'm saying. There are, there are these theological and essential realities in the church that will never change. We can count on them. And, and, and so the consistency of these allows us then to venture out with faith and courage. And so by God's grace, we, we want to keep moving onward. There's that word in 2021. We want to keep leaning forward. We want, it's going to mean some changes and some, some new things. And, and so th- this is good and exciting. That, that said, I know all change can be difficult and hard for or It is for me. I kind of like that consistency some some deal with change better than others but even even changes we recognize as good and wise and necessary they they can they can be difficult at times but to help us think and pray and and even feel our way along and through what's ahead i want us to focus on the parts of the church that don't change ever this is this is not a typical sermon for me or now sermon series for me um for us, this is a 15-point message, <laughs> and you're thinking it is. What time? 15-point, <laughs> that's a great male deer. It's probably not the best sermon outline, but that's what we got this morning and next week now. What I've basically done is, is read through Acts, just making note of the constants of the church, and so these aspects of the church that, that cannot, have not, will not change. Um, and I did something similar to this several years ago now, um, and and guess what? It hasn't changed. <laughs> I, and I hope that if I preach this message 40 years from now or 400 years from now, if cryonics is a thing or something like that, I'm joking. But it, that, that these things, 
the, the wording may change, the outline, the numeration may change, but th these are things that are constant. So we obviously don't have time to look at the hundreds of, of verse references and acts that are behind these statements, um, but we're, we're going to look at several. And so what we're going to kind of get is, is sort of the icing on the cake of, of study of the book of Acts this morning. You don't, you, you don't want to eat icing only all the time, uh, but a spoonful every now and then can be okay and it can taste good, depending on the icing. Um, our staple as a church is faithful, verse-by-verse, verse, Bible exposition, walking through books of the Bible. That's the meat and vegetables that we consume uh, constantly. That's what we live on. We don't live on icing. Today, it's kind of icing. Uh, I don't mean it's frothy and you know has no value to you, but... Next week, we're back to, or maybe two weeks from now, we're back to beef and potatoes and broccoli. And we'll start up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, looking at head coverings. And, and uh, we'll, 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 but both have their place. And so this morning, I just want us to, to see, to begin to look at these 15 constants, these 15 unchangeables in the church, 15 acts, aspects of the church that are the same today as they were when the church was in its infancy, and they will be until Christ returns. And so that's, that's why, again, with the hope that it gives us that freedom then to just look ahead and, and keep moving as a church. First, first constant is this, is that Jesus is still in charge. He is still in charge, just as he was when the church began. When Acts opens, what do we find? We find Jesus calling the shots. He's saying, this is where you need to go. This is when you need to be there. That's how he's talking to the disciples. He tells them exactly where to be, exactly when to be there. And when he shows up and when he, what he says to them just reflects his absolute authority over them and over the church. He, he, is, he is in charge. Verse 7, again, we read this a moment ago. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right, so he's, he's in charge. And then we read just a moment ago, then he's taken up to heaven. To do what? To take a nap? To just kind of just kick his feet up and move on to the next project? Do something? No, he's there to reign. He's still, he's still reigning over his church. He's reigning over us. He's, you see this in chapter 2, verse 30. He's on his throne. In verse 36, he's ruling as Lord. You get into chapter 7, as Stephen gazes into heaven, as he's, as he's about to meet the end of his life, he, he, he's about to be stoned to death, and he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the text says. Christ is, is in charge. He's still He's still in charge. He's still active after he ascends. He's still active now, brothers and sisters, building his church. And he's, he is the, he's the living head of this living body. This cannot be explained simply in human terms, sociologically. There are spiritual realities. Christ is the living head of his living body. He is the risen and reigning living cornerstone of this living spiritual building. He is, the, he is the living patriarch of this living spiritual family. He is, he is in charge. He, he's with us. He's, he's working. He's reigning. He's leading. He's providing. He's, he's caring. He's praying. He's accomplishing. He's protecting. He's advancing. He's sustaining. He's calling. He's saving. He's sanctifying. He's enabling. He's, he's keeping us. 
He's working. He is still in charge. I know I, there was this materialism in our age. And when you hear the word materialism, I know we think of, you know, uh, teenagers going on Amazon and buying lots of stuff. That's a symptom of what materialism really is. It's, but it's a way of viewing the world in simply physical, material ways. This is all that there is. The stuff we can see and touch. This is all that matters. We don't deny the reality of those things. But we're saying that's not all there is. That's an ultimate reality. There is, there is a spiritual realm. And, and, but this materialism that seeped into our church. And, and so we, 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 the, the authority and the presence of, of God, of Christ, it's, it's not consciously remembered by us as, as it should be. It's not shaping the way we think and talk and live and plan and, and show up on Sundays and worship and sing and pray and, and listen and preach. I confess for myself. I've got to remind myself that these things are really true. By faith, we, we realize this. And so, just some of the ways it shows up, where do, where, do we, where do people go? Even believers, when you've had a really hard day or hard week, what do we, what do we turn to? A hard year. Are we, are, we, are we running to the Lord because we, we know He's in charge. We know He cares. We know He's on His throne. We know He's at the right hand of the Father. And our first instinct is to run to Him. Or do we, do we look for something else, a distraction, a entertainment? Or Again, I'm not saying those things are bad. They don't have their place. But I'm just saying, what, what is, uh, consciously, where are we seeing? Or do we see Him as, as in charge and present with us? Where do we go when we have a decision to make? Where do we turn when good things happen in our life? Where do, we, where do we direct our, our gratitude? I mean, as, we, as you read through the book of Acts, brothers and sisters, there is this awareness in the church, in, in these local churches, and in the body of Christ, that the Lord is present. He is, he is with us, and He is in charge, and He, is, he has authority. And, 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 and so, for, in times of good, in times of bad, in times of uncertainty, they, there's just this returning to the Lord constantly, this conscious awareness that Jesus is leading his church. It's not our church to lead, and he's just kind of left us some instructions, left us the keys, walked away, he'll see you later when he returns. No, he is present with us through the Holy Spirit. He's actively involved. He's actively in charge of the church, of this church, brothers and sisters. That has not changed. That will not change. I don't care who's in the White House. He is in charge of his church. Secondly, this is the second constant. The Bible is still our foundation. That will never change. We have a rock-solid, unshifting foundation in the Word of God. The church isn't built on, on, on human traditions, on, on man-made rules, on public opinion, on human philosophies, on, on charismatic personalities. That's not what it's built upon. I know many will try to explain the church and in those kinds of ways, but the church is built on the solid bedrock of biblical truth, revelation from God. And so while the disciples, we see this in the book of Acts, and over and over, while they're gathered in that upper room after Jesus' ascension, what is, what is it that's guiding them in every decision that they make? You see this over and over, for it is written. For it is written. They're, they're looking, they're looking, which at the time was the Old Testament, they're looking to the word and they're remembering things that are true and what they've heard of the prophets and how the Lord's spoken in the past and, and, and this is where they're turning. They're preaching. It's, it's filled. It's overflowing with scripture, just oozing Old Testament. I mean, as you, as you look through those sermons, just you can just scan with your eyes, flip through those 
opening chapters of Acts and all throughout the book, whenever they're preaching, there are all these indented references throughout the book of Acts. And what do those indentions mean? It's quotations. They're quoting the Old Testament. They're, 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 and, and not only that, they're, they're the, the, the proto-New Testament. Again, the, the New Testament canon is not complete, but they, they have the apostles teaching, and to that they're devoting themselves as a church. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Ephesians 2.20. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's what we're saying. The, 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 God's word is still our foundation. That doesn't change. Can't ever veer from that. And so as unchanging as our foundation is, we, we can't just be stagnant, though, in our understanding of it. Just, just acknowledge it, put it in our doctrinal statement, and then we move on and practically live as if, as if we're built upon something else. No, no, no. Throughout Acts... The apostles, the, the, the pastors of those churches, the lay people, they're, what are they doing? They're teaching, actively teaching one another, strengthening one another in the faith, constantly going to the scriptures. The pattern is they go into new areas, they preach the gospel, uh, people trust in Christ, churches are started, and what happens? They're going back, back to these same churches and, and, and just strengthening those disciples in the churches. Chapter 14, verse 22. Chapter 15, verse 41. Chapter 18, verse 23. This is the pattern. Constant need. Paul spent 18 months in Corinth, what? Teaching the word of God among them. For three years, Paul labored day and night through tears, the text says, teaching and admonishing the Ephesian church. Priscilla and Aquila, lay people, they labored to explain the way of God more accurately to, to Apollos. This, they had this awareness. This is a given for the church, is the word of God is foundation. And we have a, a firm foundation in this, in this truth, brothers and sisters. And we, we, need, to be, we need to be mindful of that the, the Bible, the Bible is, is our foundation. We do change the metaphor. It's our rudder. It it's directs us to, to remove it from its rightful place of centrality and authority in our lives will mean that we're going to be shipwrecked. That may happen very quickly. It does to some churches. It may happen very slowly over generations. But it's going to happen. That, that, usually, that usually doesn't happen through you know, changing the wording of a doctrinal statement, compromising our, our confessional uh, convictions about inerrancy or the authority of the word. It's not, that's not where we usually put reading to those things and say, you know what, I just don't think the Bible is errant. That's not how it happens. It usually happens as the, the word sufficiency in our lives is challenged. We start to, we, we acknowledge that the Bible's true and it's without error and all those statements and we affirm the Chicago statement of inerrancy, but in our practical everyday lives we say, you know, the Bible is true, but it, it doesn't really fit here. It doesn't really apply in my life here. It's not enough to help me with this. It's not enough. I need, I need something else. I need something in addition. Now, there's a, I could do a whole message on sufficiency. I'm not saying that there's no value, no benefit in God's common grace and, and other areas, and that's not my point at all. But I'm just saying, whatever, what, listen, whatever changes, whatever changes have or may come here, you can be sure that you're going to find a stability zone. Pray to God's grace. You'll find a stability zone here in our commitment to the authority, inerrancy, and sufficiency of the Bible. This is why we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. It's not just because we think it's a neat way to do it. It's because of this conviction. The Bible's our foundation. This is why we do theological training in Sunday school and other ways, other areas. 
honestly, this is what keeps me sane. This is what's kept me sane this past year. It's just, I know, and even this year, as we're thinking ahead, I know that I have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 11, verses 2 to 16, to study and to prepare for. It is not one of those passages saying, man, I can't wait to preach on head coverings. But there is something about the clarity and the centrality, and just to say, this is my foundation, and I, I am eager to see what God is speaking to his church and, what, and how it connects with our lives. And so I'm thankful for that. So that's the second constant. Third, the Holy Spirit's still on the move. The Holy Spirit is still on the move. I mean, as you read through, as you read through Acts from beginning to end, do it multiple times in particular, you, you see the Spirit is living, powerful, personal, and very, very active. That has not changed, brothers and sisters. I know this is where our materialism has seeped in, and we, we kind of are in denial of these spiritual realities. We certainly minimize them and kind of embarrassed by them, to be, if we're honest. But the Spirit is working and moving, and everything, everything that happens, we, we have to realize and it is attributed to the work of the Spirit. The book of Acts, he comes, he comes to us in fulfillment of Jesus' promise to his disciples. In Acts 1, 5, and 8, verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so he's this, he's this gift. He's this gift to the church, to those who trust in Christ. He's like the, a present that, that is given to the church for us. Some of the ways that we find him working just in Acts, he fills us. He, and, and, and still works today. He directs us. He, he protects us. He emboldens us. He liberates us. He helps us. He sends us out, commissions us. He gives us gifts. He opens doors for the gospel for us. He breaks down barriers to the gospel for us. He shuts our mouths. He opens our eyes. He teaches us. He bears witness to Jesus. He convicts us of sin. He exposes us. He grows us in wisdom and faith and strength. He's working. He's still moving. The Holy Spirit's not passive or silent or dormant. He's not kind of like the, the spare tire of the Trinity where, where you don't really need him until there's a problem and then you're thankful for him. No, when Jesus commissioned us and said, Behold, I am with you always. How is he with us? always it's through the spirit that he sent this is why he said don't you dare leave until the spirit comes because you can't do what i'm asking you to do until you have the spirit we need the spirit's movement and this is the brothers this is the encouragement this is the constant for us the spirit is still on the move he's still working we we need to be a church that's led by empowered by god's holy spirit his fruit needs to be produced in us in, in greater and greater measure. And so stick around for Sunday school next hour. Brother Thomas is going to walk us through faithfulness and what that looks like in our lives as Christians and this glorious fruit that he produces in us, this aspect of that fruit. And so we need his fruit. We need to walk in step with the Spirit. We need his illuminating work as we read and study and preach the Bible. We need, we need to be filled, by, filled with and controlled by the Spirit in our assemblies. As Paul says, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to God with one another. We need to be directed by him and strengthened by him as we're living on mission, uh, doing what Christ has called us to do. The Spirit is still at work, brothers and sisters. This is one of the constants. 
Jesus is still in charge. The Bible, the word is still our foundation. Spirit is still on the move. And then fourth, the mandate is still in effect. The mandate's still in effect. The same mission that constrained Peter and Paul and Timothy and Barnabas and Priscilla and Aquila and on and on in Acts is the same mission that compels us today. Our marching orders have not changed. Jesus gave those orders clearly in Acts 1.8. We've read it a couple times already. You shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He gave the same charge in different words earlier in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Peter, in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Peter knew that he and others, they're what? Co- quote, commanded to preach to the people and testify to Christ. This is, this is the charge. That hasn't changed. The mandate's still in effect. Jesus didn't leave us guessing what the aim of our church should be so that, you know, you, you guys need to kind of figure it out year to year, uh, you know, season to season, what you need to be about. No. We're not left to figure it out on our own. We're not, it's not for each local church in each generation to decide for themselves what we're supposed to give ourselves to. He's given us our heading, and we, we have to resolve to stay on it. The, the heading is the Great Commission, and we're saying, no, we're, we're not just looking for our own heading. We, we think this would be a better way. No, we find it, and we stick to it. And when we start to veer off of it, we come back to it. And that's, that's, our, that's our goal. Our mission as we stated as a local church, to glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home and abroad. And this is, this is everything we do has got to be kind of aligned to that mission. There's always a tendency towards drifting from that, isn't there, though? We feel it. We, we get busy doing good things as a church and in our own lives as believers, and, and yet they're not things that are essential to carrying out and supporting His mission. So those good but secondary things end up consuming a lot of our time and thought and energy and attention and resources. And so we, we need to be constantly coming back. Every ministry in our church needs to be evaluated in terms of this disciple-making effectiveness and, and see it through this lens. Any changes, any adjustments we make at a church should be there to keep us more and more closely aligned to the mandate that is still in effect for us. All right, last... Let's go one more. Five. Five out of 15 ain't bad, right? <laughs> the the fifth, fifth constant, the gospel is still changing lives. The gospel is still changing lives. You look again through, the, through Acts, the leading edge of the church in Acts is the gospel. Christ crucified, risen again, always on the lips of those early, early believers in public gatherings, in private conversations, in planning, in church gatherings, everything. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. As the gospel is proclaimed, lives are radically transformed. The world was turned upside down. That's how it was described in Acts 17, 6, because of the gospel. At times, you see whole crowds of people trusting in Jesus and being born again as the gospel is preached publicly. Other times, it's through these one-on-one conversations, and, and an individual is brought from death to life through the gospel at other times, the gospel is rejected, but that doesn't mean the gospel hasn't accomplished its good effect. Jews and Gentiles, outcasts, uh, leading officials, priests, pagans, the gospel is the power of God to all who believe. And so, so you, you just see this over and over. We can't, I can't recount all these instances. The Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8, Saul in chapter 9, whole towns in chapter 9, verse 35. Chapter 13, the proconsul believed. 
uh, verse 12, many Gentiles believed as many were appointed to eternal life. Chapter 14, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They preached the gospel and made many disciples. Just on and on and on. Chapter 18, the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. Many Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. On and on and on in Acts. The gospel is preached, people believe and are changed. The gospel is still changing lives today, brothers and sisters. It is still, it is still powerful. Don't, question, don't, don't doubt its power. The gospel then still needs to be the leading edge of Baraka Bible Church. It does in our preaching and discipleship and counseling and evangelism and care and missions and in, in small groups and children's ministries and families and singing and every aspect that we do. The, the gospel is that leading edge. The leading edge of, of, our, of our body is not to be morality. It's not to be a political ideology or agenda. It's not to be a social cause. It's not family values. It's not a lifestyle. All of those things will be affected by the lifeblood of the church, the gospel, but they are not the lifeblood of the church. There's a distinction we have to make there and keep, that, keep that, those in their place. The gospel, the gospel's got to be the leading edge. The gospel's still powerful. It's still powerful. And it's not just for the lost. It doesn't just show up in evangelism. It's for us, church. And this is, we'll come back to this next week. It, this is our lifeblood. This is, this is where we live. This is what we delight in constantly. Let me pray. Then we'll sing. Oh, Father, I pray, I pray that you would keep us, keep us tethered, keep us uh, resting in these constants. Lord, we're thankful that, Jesus, you are in charge. You've not left us. You've not taken leave and, and, and really are not even absent from us in the sense that you've left your spirit with us and you are with us always to the end of the age. We're thankful for, the, for your word that is a solid foundation, a bedrock. We are, our feet are not on shifting ground. At times we confess, Lord, it feels like that individually and, and even as a church body. But we are, we are not. When we stand on your word, we're standing on solid rock. And, and, and we're thankful that the spirit is still moving and active and working. We're thankful that you've given us the great commission, which we, which is still in effect, and we're not having to look for, for a 2.0 or, or something else, something new, something different. You've, you've given us our orders. We're thankful for the gospel, Christ crucified and risen, that's still powerful to bring salvation and still powerful to transform us who are your children, Lord. And so help us to, to continue to delight in this, Father, as a church, to, to, as we explore more constants next week, God. Just give stability to our hearts. I pray this church would be that place of stability for, for us as believers in a world where, where they're so, so hard to find. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.